up? What's up? Welcome to Who Knew. Hello. Where we talk about things that you might not have known about before. Who knew? Oh, I'm glad that we're doing this in episode 13. <laughs> <laughs> Telling you what the podcast is about. Sure. Because until now, we had no idea. <laughs> we're just getting an idea now. We're yep. 13 and that's a joke. How's your week? It's good. Um, It's been a busy one. We had a long week at work and then we've been trying to catch up, so... It's been fun. We're finding it's hard on night shift to like go run errands and get everything in town done that like is on a normal schedule in a day. In one day. Yeah. It's a little rough. But but what I really enjoy about nights is that we get to be at home so we can do like home projects at least. But it's just kind of crappy when you wake up at like 3 p.m. and everything closes in two hours. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um home projects have been nice it's a little rough if you have to like run power tools because i feel bad (laughs) and then i just don't do it i like have to schedule that for like eight or nine where it's somewhat acceptable to run a a saw (laughs) so (laughs) a saw that's the first thing you go with but yeah i'm going to run a saw now that's the last thing i ran that's true no that's not true you had your air compressor okay okay that's also loud yeah so yep uh, yeah, that's fine. But with that, you built some pretty bomb shelves for our comic books, which yes. we'll put on the Instagram for you guys. And I'll be talking about for the comic books that are on that shelf today. Yay! Very excited. Something I didn't know about before this research, really. Yeah. I, did, I had no idea when you started talking to me about it. So, good segue. Super good. I I didn't plan that either. <laughs> So this week we're talking about Kings of Horror. Yep. <laughs> One way or another. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be talking, starting off with Boris Karloff, who is often paired in pretty much every podcast I listen to, paired with uh, Bela Lugosi. I don't know who that is either. Dracula. Oh, that makes sense. He's like the, co- the classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I knew that. The moment you said Dracula, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Duh. Yep. They're... Uh, Around the same time, so they get paired often. Mm-hmm. There's not like, I'll, I'll warn you, it's not like going to be my longest episode or longest story, just because there's not a lot of info about. So let's uh, start off. So Boris Karloff was actually born uh, William Henry Pratt on November 23rd in 1887 in a very long and probably mispronounced town, which is now considered part of London. So, we're just going to say in London, England. His parents were Edward John Pratt Jr. and Eliza Sarah Millard. He was bow-legged, had a lisp, and stuttered. He learned how to manage the stutter, but not the lisp, which was, like, super noticeable in all of his work um, later on in life. And, like, kind of a... Signature? Yeah, sure. Yeah. He spent his childhood in Enfield, which, if you've ever heard of The Conjuring 2... Oh, yeah, that's right. It's about the infield poltergeist. So he grew up there, which is in the county of Middlesex. He was the youngest of nine children, and uh, his mom died when he was young, so he was pretty much brought up by his, like, older siblings. Mm -hmm. He went to grammar school and then later went to some public schools in the area that they lived in, and then after that he ended up going to King's College London, where he... Hmm. um, studied and aimed for a career with the 
British government's consular service, but then in 1909, he left college without graduating and kind of became a drifter and ended up going to Canada. So in Canada, he worked as a farmer, um, like not even as a farmer, he was like a laborer on someone else's farm. Interesting. And he did a whole bunch of like odd jobs until he happened upon acting. (laughs) <laughs> literally that's what every source said like he was discovered like, on the mall I was a farmer and then I was an actor like <laughs> I wonder how that happens but so he started in the theater um, performing oh. in Canada and then during that period he chose the name Boris Karloff as like his stage name uh-huh. some people theorize that he took that name from a mad scientist character in the novel novel uh, drums, the drums of Jeopardy, who was called Boris Karloff. However, the novel was not published until 1920, which was at least eight years after he had been using the name on stage and in silent films. So, so they stole his name. Totes. So rude. He pretty much said he just liked the sound of it. Um, he said he chose the name Boris because it sounded foreign and exotic, and that Karloff was a family name. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I dig it. So one reason for that name change was because he didn't want to embarrass his family because he was acting. Oh, uh, because that's so embarrassing. Well, so his brothers, who were all dignified members of the British Foreign Service, oh. considered him kind of like the black sheep, which he totally was, um, because he became an act- because he went off to he left college and went to a different country and became an actor <laughs> after he was a farmer. <laughs> yeah, um, and so he was worried. About them feeling that way, and he it made him really sad. So he oh took up the stage name. That makes me sad. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. He didn't reunite with his family until he returned to London to make The Ghoul in 1933. Which, um, and he, again, he was super worried that his siblings would disapprove of this new macabre claim to world fame. Yeah, but instead, his brothers were like super. They're like, I want to talk to Boris. No, I want to talk to That's Boris. That's so like, cool. Boris, let's go hang out over here. Like, <laughs> Boris, you're my brother. You, I was your first favorite, right? Yes. So they were super stoked about it because he was pretty famous at that point. Was I'm sorry if you explain this. I'm so sorry. Is he the? Is he younger than his brothers? He's the youngest. Okay, cool. Yep. He's the youngest one, and uh, they actually took a photo together. There weren't a ton of photos back then, but they took a photo together, and his brothers immediately started asking about getting a copy for themselves, and that was, like, one of his favorite memories, was like, oh "Oh my god, they like me. Like, isn't that so cute? Isn't that cute? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, He's like, my big brothers love me, finally. Right? It's so true, though. Like, my brothers, I, like, I know they obviously like me. But, like, it was so cool when they were like, hey, Mace, you want to come hang out like, do this? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> it was super cool. So, he's off trying to kind of, like, build up this acting career he started. And he had to perform years and years of manual labor in Canada and the U.S. to make ends meet. Like, between acting gigs. Okay. So, he, Working man. Yeah, so this left him with a bunch of back problems, which he was an issue for him for the rest of his life. And because of that, he didn't enlist in World War One. Um, during this period, he worked... Now, this is all before that movie that I mentioned before. That was just to tell you about, like, his relationship with his family. So, he's still kind of a struggling, blooming actor. And 
During that time, he worked in various theatrical stock companies across the U.S. to kind of hone in his acting skills. So that's like... What's a stock company? So that's like when you... Like, you've heard of a theater company? Oh, yeah, yeah, like a group of Mm -hmm. people that... Okay, okay. Yep, so he wasn't in any, like, big famous ones. He was just in, like, stock. I see. Interesting. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but I'm sure it makes more sense to people that deal with it. Like, generic. Oh, so it's, like, Walmart brand. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. He was in the Walmart brand. No. He was in, like, the Dollar Tree brand. Oh, no. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> really opening it up to that Walmart or Target brand. So. <laughs> it's, like, Target ideal. Yeah. But. <laughs> poor guy. He's looking for the Joanna Gaines of. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <Anyways>. So. <laughs> Some acting companies that are mentioned that he was in were the Harry St. Clair Players and the Billy Bennett Touring Company. And then by early 1918, he was working with the Mod Amber Players in Vallejo, California. But then Spanish flu broke out in the San Francisco area. Oh, no. And the fear of people getting sick, the whole troupe was, like, disbanded. No surprise there. Yeah. He ended up being able to work, find work with the Haggerty Repertory. For a while, which, um, I don't know what a repertory is. Do you know what that is? I do not. Okay, well, email us. Sounds fancy, though. (laughs) Yeah, so he ended up being friends with, um, one of the owners. His name was Joseph Paul Haggerty, and he, they remained friends for the rest of their lives. So that was kind of a big job for him, and a really good point in his, uh, career, just because it was, like, steady work, and he found friends. Yeah. It wasn't acting, but it was uh, it was something. Yeah. According to Karloff, in his first film, he appeared as an extra in a crowd scene for Frank Borzage. I'm sorry. Borzage. I'm going to do this again. <laughs> According to Karloff, in his first film, he appeared as an extra in a crowd scene for a Frank Borzage picture at Universal, for which he received, guess how much money? Two dollars. Five whole doll hairs. Oh my god, I was so close. <laughs> the title of the film has never been traced, so nobody knows what it actually is. Oh. <clears throat> Weird. He acted in 80 movies before being found by James Whale and cast in Notorious Frankenstein in 1931. Mm-hmm. 80 movies. Eight zero. How many is that a year? Um, so between 1918 and 1931, it's... uh. I don't know, 12? That's 13, 13 years. years. So 80 divided by 13. That's six movies a year. Holy Seems crap. Like a lot. That's a lot, right? He was a busy guy. Yes. Wow. Um, So he ended up being cast in Frankenstein, which is huge. He's like the most well-known for this. Um, <clears throat> his role as Frankenstein's monster was physically demanding. It required a really bulky costume. Which included four-inch platform boots to make him look... Like, he was a big guy, but, like, he needed to look big. Yeah. Big guy. Um, but the costume and extensive makeup produced, a, like, the image that everybody knows of Frankenstein. He was the first one. Mm-hmm. So all I picture in my head right yes. now. Costume was a job in itself for Karloff with the shoes weighing, guess how much each? 20? 11 pounds each. Oh. That's... That's a lot for your feet. That's a lot for your feet. <laughs> Can you imagine? Universal Studios quickly copyrighted the makeup design for Frankenstein Monster that Jack P. Pierce Smart. had created. I know. It took a while for his stardom to be established with the public. He had 
small roles in Behind the Mask in 1932. So he was famous for Frankenstein, but he struggled in other movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Business and Pleasure in 1932 and The Miracle Man in 1932. But then Frankenstein and another movie he was in, Scarface, blew up. Super, super popular. Uh, So Universal gave Karloff a third billing in Night World in 1932. With Lou Ayers, May Clark, and George Raft, who were all, like, big names back yeah. then. <clears throat> Let's see. I I don't... I told Sammy this before. Like, I don't want to go through every single movie he was in. Because everybody can just go on Wikipedia and read, like... This movie list. There's so many. There's an entire separate Wikipedia page. Just for his Just for the list of... Yeah. Yes. Thing. Um, so I'm not going to do that. Let's see. So he ended up being billed um, in a 20th Century Pictures historical film called The House of House of Rothschild uh, in 1934, which was very popular. But um, he became like pretty much exclusively known for his horror films. So um, even though he did make several very popular like non horror pictures, he but he had a niche. Yes, absolutely. Um, Horror was his primary genre, and he gave a string of lauded performances in Universal's horror films, which, um, horror was weird because it, like, was popular, and then it died down for a long time, and then became really popular again. Yeah. Cool. He did several with Bela Lugosi, who was his main rival as heir to Lon Chaney's status as the leading horror film star, but they were actually pretty good friends. Oh, good. That makes it easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had a pretty long-standing creative partnership, which is really cool. Nevertheless, led to like a close friendship, but they made a lot of really good movies together, mm-hmm. um, which included The Black Cat in 1934, yeah. The Gift of Gab in 1934, which they both had cameos as themselves, which is kind of funny. Oh, I love, oh my god, I love even to this day when actors cameo yeah. themselves. Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah. I'll eat it all the time. <laughs> Karloff reprised the role of Frankenstein's monster in The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, and then he and Lugosi were reunited in The Raven in 1935. Weird. Mm-hmm. 1935? Yeah. I'll remember that. Okay. Remember that. <laughs> Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Okay. So the motion picture co- production code, motion production the motion, motion picture production code, which was known as the Hayes Code, which you might have heard of. Mm-mm. I'm not sure. They talked about it in Hollywood, that movie. We oh. Um, it began to seriously enforce, be enforced in 1934, and uh-huh. horror films suffered a decline in the second half of the 30s because of that. So it was like this strict code for like what could be in a movie and what couldn't be in a movie. Interesting. And it was everything from like gay stuff to oh. like dialogue to race stuff. Like they were, it was very specific and oh, it was incredibly no. like filtering. Uh, I hate it. Yeah. So he ended up going to work in other genres for a little bit. Um, so he hated it too? Yes. Good for him. I think pretty much everybody did. That's so dumb. Except for the people who were actually like white coming up with it. Yeah. Oh. Honestly. Yeah. So we're going to segue to his personal life since movie life was kind of like a downer after the 30s. So in 1940, um, he dressed as Father Christmas every year. Uh-huh. for Christmas to hand out presents to physically disabled children in a Baltimore hospital. No! <laughs> that's just so sweet! Uh-huh. Yeah. In Baltimore? Mm-hmm. How fun. 
he never legally changed his name to Boris Karloff. He signed official documents as William H. Pratt, a.k.a. Boris Karloff. <laughs> That's what he said? Yes. That's so amazing. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do. He was a charter member of the Screen Actors Guild, which is pretty cool. That's still going today. Yeah. And he was especially outspoken due to the long hours he spent in makeup while playing Frankenstein's monster. So he was a huge advocate for, like, rights, the rights of actors. Yeah, like, you have to pay me for the time that I'm getting mm-hmm. makeup or whatever they do. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not an actor. Right. Uh, he married six times and had one kiddo whose name is Sarah Karloff. She's still alive today. Um, so he didn't legally change his name, but he legally gave his daughter the name? Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Final marriage was in 1946, right after his fifth divorce, like, right after his fifth divorce. And at the time of his daughter's birth, he was filming The Son of Frankenstein, uh, and reportedly rushed from the film set to the hospital while still in full makeup. I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, could you imagine seeing him walk in and be like, uh, <laughs> you're definitely right down there. I know that name. Go down there. <laughs> I know that face. Just go. <laughs> yeah. So the Hayes Code had kind of died down, right? And so they started making more horror films again. And that's when we saw um, some of the stuff like uh, The Birds and The Crone. Crowening. The crowning. <laughs> the crows. No, the hills have crows. No, the crows the have cr- eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the hills have crows. <laughs> the, the crows have eyes. Three, the crowning. Um, Psycho came out. Sorry, yeah, let's get back to that. <laughs> Psycho, which we watched and yes, you liked. I did um, like it. Yeah, horror just had a real resurgence, and so did Boris for a little bit. So he went back to England in 1959. He mm-hmm. had been a long-time very heavy smoker, which a lot of people were, and he had emphysema, which left him with only half of one lung Ooh. still functioning. Oh, no. Uh-huh. He got bronchitis in 1968, oh, and no. then he was hospitalized at the University oh, no. College Hospital, he ended up dying of pneumonia at the King Edward Seventh Hospital in Midhurst, Sussex, on February 2nd of 1969. He was 81 years old. Dang, that's crazy. Yep, his body was cremated, and he had, like, a really small, modest service at his request, and then now he's commemorated by a plaque at the Garden of Remembrance. Like, I, I didn't want to mention, like, every single thing he was in, right? But I do want to mention... That Karloff lent his name and likeness to a comic book for Gold yes. Key Comics based on a series called Thriller. Um, after Thriller was canceled, the comic was retitled Boris Karloff's Tales of Mystery, uh-huh. uh, where an illustrated likeness of Karloff continued to introduce each issue of the publication for more than a decade after his death. The comic lasted until the early 1980s, and then in 2009, Dark Horse Comics began, like, re- like publishing reprints that's awesome Dark i've got four of those yes you do so i have uh the serpent's clutch not the clutch of the serpent yes i have this is just tales of mystery <laughs> oh no the great flood of florence i don't know i haven't read it yet i um, know we need to read those It'd be I... fun. <laughs> this one boris karloff's tale of Mis- tales of mystery a stormy night a monster on the loose the setup was perfect. Oh my god. That is the <laughs> That's what it says on the <laughs> The setup was perfect. Um, and then oh the last gosh. one. A comet screams out of the heavens to pursue okay. its discoverer. <laughs> so the the bad guy 
in this comic is a comet. <laughs> what? That is so cool. If you so, guys yeah. have any of these comic books, let us know if you're willing to sell them. I will give buy them, them away. I will take them. Yeah. Or you know where I can find them for cheap. That'd be super duper. Yes. Besides like eBay. I've been looking on there, but yeah. I don't know. Um so yeah, that's kind of Boris Karloff. He's like a staple in classic horror. Yeah, that's so cool. And he had a pretty interesting life too, so yeah. That's what I got for you. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Sure. That was very entertaining. A lot that I didn't know because I don't like like a lot of old horror movies and stuff she like that. says that, you know, but every one that we've watched, she's like, oh my god, I love that. What We watched one. Yeah. And that's Psycho. Yep. That doesn't count. You Why? said every one that we've watched. Is that wrong? <laughs> it's it just, you make it, you're... <laughs> You're concealing the truth <laughs> with vague terms to make it seem like I've watched more than just one. I don't one. know about that. Okay. Well, no. <laughs> That's fine. Anyways. Well, we gotta watch Frankenstein now. Just so you know. Okay. <laughs> Come on. You know I will. I know. Whatever. So, you talked about Boris Karloff. I'm talking about one of my favorite people in the whole world. Whom is no longer alive, but if he were, I would join a cult for him. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. Not really. Oh my god. Oh my god. What? I have a show we have to watch. Why? It's about an Edgar Allan Poe cult. It's got Kevin Bacon in it. I'm not watching that. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. I don't like Kevin Bacon. I don't care. We're watching oh, it. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> I'm talking about Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Um, yeah. And we all know Edgar Allan Poe. We've had to read his stuff in school, hopefully. Anyways, this is all about Mr. Poe. I'm just going to refer to him as Poe. Because mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe is way too, mm-hmm. ma- it's way too mm-hmm. much. And then Edgar just sounds weird. So it's just Poe. Or maybe a posif here and there. But here we go. Edgar Allan Poe was born January 19th, 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts, as just Edgar Poe. And there was no Allen. He had two siblings, a William Henry Leonard Poe, who was older than him, and a sister, Rosalie Poe, who was younger. Parents were English-born actress Elizabeth, who goes by Eliza, Arnold Poe, and David Poe Jr., who was an actor from Baltimore, Maryland. Hmm. So both actors there, which was definitely different than how it is now back in the 1800s. And on top of all that, they were traveling actors. Oh. Yeah, so they would probably do a couple of plays and then go to the next play. Or, like, they probably, what I imagine is, like, what bands do, like, tours. Right. That's what I'm imagining. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm correct. But, fun fact already, it is rumored that Poe might have been named after a character in Shakespeare's King Lear, which David and Eliza were performing the year Poe was born. And uh, there is a character in King Lear that's named Edgar, so. Oh. Slight possibility, but maybe it's just a coincidence um elizabeth sadly died in richmond virginia in 1811 from tuberculosis or consumption or whatever else you want to call it david then abandoned the family in 1810 and unfortunately also died in december of 1811 so by the age of three poe was an orphan quite sad wow but he was given to the care of his godfather john allen and his wife francis valentine allen um, John was a wealthy tobacco merchant. He lived in Richmond, Virginia. And this is where Poe gets the Allen part of his name from his foster family. 
but they never formally adopt him. <laughs> oh. I know. It's stated that John spoiled Poe, but he was also very harsh in discipline. And you'll see in his adult life that I will go into that John was just kind of a... He was very hard. Um, so the family moved to the UK in 1815 to live in Irvine, Ashire, Scotland. I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, which is where John was originally born. And um, they rejoined the rest of the Allen family in London of 1816. So the rest of John's family lived in love- London at the time. Um, Poe was reported to have been sent to Scotland and, or sent to school in Scotland and England from 1815 to 1820 for classical education, which is basically like boarding school. Sure. Um, it is stated that he excelled in school. He's a very, very intelligent student, very bright. Um, not very surprising. He's a very clever guy in his writings and such. Um, and also, his advanced education continued when they returned to um, America after 1820 when they moved to Richmond, okay. back to Richmond. Um, around this time, John's uncle, William Galt, died... And he was said to be one of the richest men in Richmond, so rich that William left John several acres of real estate and an inheritance that was $750,000. And at the time, or $750,000 at the time, which is now $17 million. Dang. Yeah. So a lot of money. <laughs> Many money. Yeah. Lots of monies. Lots of zeros. Um. So then in 1826, Poe began to attend University of Virginia, which was founded in 1816 in Charlottesville, Virginia. He excelled in his classes, but even back then he was getting into debt from schooling. And unfortunately... Same. (laughs) Unfortunately, Alan had sent Poe with less than a third of the funds he needed for school, which is pretty shitty because, I don't know, like two bullets ago, I just told you he just got $17 million. So... Yeah, it's kind of crappy that he's a rich dude that's not going to help his son out, but then maybe he didn't want his son to just rely on him. I don't know. Foster son, son, whatever. So Poe then took up gambling to help pay for his expenses, but then he just got in more debt. Um, So sadly, by the end of his first term, Poe was so poor that he had to like burn his own furniture to keep warm. I know. And then Alan and Poe often disagreed on money due to Poe's gambling debts and Alan refusing to pay them for him, which, I mean, I can't blame him. But also at the same time, like, if he had helped him out in the first place, he wouldn't have these debts. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. Um, Poe was embarrassed by his lack of being able to have money and was angry with Alan because he couldn't help him or wouldn't help him. So Poe dropped out of school and returned to Richmond in hopes of turning his luck around. But things didn't get better for him. Apparently, Poe went off to school and uh, he fell in love and became engaged to a woman named Elmira Royster. But once he came back from school um, and returned to Richmond, Elmira was engaged to another man. Oh, fuck. Ooh. So, could you imagine back then you can't just, like, call and break up with someone? You just kind of, like, hope you never see them again? Yes. Like the original ghosting? Yeah. <laughs> so awful. Um, How do you, like, come back, though, and find someone? I mean, I feel like it's such a small town that... If I was really trying to ghost somebody, I'd just go to a different town. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, maybe she didn't think he was going to come back. I don't know. Regardless, that happened to him. That's really sad. So, Poe was upset and heartbroken, and then he moves to Boston in April of 1827. He had a dream of being a great poet. 
and he tried to sustain his life with odd jobs as a clerk and a newspaper writer. And at this time, he used the pseudonym of Henry Lee Rennett. Um, but he was unable to support himself, so Poe then enlisted in the U.S. Army in May of 1827 using the name Edgar A. Perry. So another pseudonym. He claimed he was 22, even though he was only 18. I don't know how old you had to be to be in the military at that time, but maybe he didn't have to lie. He just wanted to seem older. I don't know. But then during 1827, Poe published his first book called Tamerlane, which is a 40-page collection of poetry. There were only 50 copies that were printed, and it basically got no attention. It was kind of like a like if I ever publish a book, it's going to be like, oh, that's cool. Your friends and family don't really care because you're, well, the impose situation. <laughs> he had no family and I didn't find anything about friends. Anyways, so <laughs> while he was in the army, he earned the rank of sergeant major for artillery, which was apparently the highest rank uh, that a non-commissioned officer could receive. Um, even with that, he wanted to get out of his five-year enlistment. He was like, I feel like he was like, I excelled at this this is cool and great but i don't like it so apparently in order for him to get out of that five-year enlistment um oh no that's what i was saying i was saying i think he like he like excels at things like he's very smart he's very intelligent like he knows how to do things but he was just like i really just did this to get me out of debt and this isn't something i enjoy so he kind of messed up because it's like you can't just get out of that you need a commitment but mm-hmm. anyways in order for him to get out of that five-year enlistment he um talked to his commanding commanding officer lieutenant howard and apparently lieutenant howard just wanted him to reconcile with his foster dad isn't that weird? weird he was like according to my resources he was like so just reconnect with your foster father find a replacement you're good that's so weird right find a replacement yeah he has to find somebody to replace his five-year like swoopy swap like he'd like be a civilian. Off the street? Like I don't know. Somebody Whoa, okay. who was willing to take his <laughs> weird. Anyways, so Poe wrote a letter to Alan, but Alan didn't respond and spent several months clearly ignoring Poe. So much that Alan didn't advise Poe that his foster mother Frances had an illness, and she unfortunately died February twenty eighth of eighteen twenty nine. And Poe went to visit the day after her burial. Oh, that's fine. I know. So he missed everything, Ugh. which is super sad. Um, so this is when Alan, perhaps, like, remorseful and just, like, a changed man because of her death, um, agreed to support Poe's desire to be discharged from the army in order to get, um, like, an appointment to his, Alan's one condition was, okay, well, you, will get you out of the army, but you have to make an appointment so you can join the military academy at West Point in New York. So Poe was like, uh, fine, I guess. I was already a sergeant major, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to West Point. So, um, officially on April 15th, 1829, Poe was discharged from the army. He did succeed in finding somebody to replace him to finish out his enlistment term. So that's what anybody can do, apparently. I'm just kidding. You can't do that now. Oh, no. JK, LOL. Um, so... Before going to West Point, he moves to Baltimore to live with his late father, David, to live in his late father, David Post Jr. home. Um, at that time, he was waiting to, like, get his appointment and everything set up for West Point. So he asked help from his family in the area. And unfortunately, um, this is when one of his cousins took advantage of him and um, robbed him one night. 
So <laughs> he just has really bad luck. Good Lord. I know. But good side is another relative, his aunt Maria Clem, had become kind of a mother figure to Poe. So he moved to stay with her and her daughter, Virginia Eliza Clem, who was his first cousin, her daughter. I already said that. Um, and she's six years old at the time. As well as um, his brother, William Henry, and also his estranged grandmother, Elizabeth Carnes Poe. So, weird family mm -hmm. house that's going on there. Yeah. So, in September of that year, Poe reportedly says, quote, the very first words of encouragement I ever remember to have heard, end quote. And this was in reference to a re review of his poetry by an influential critic named John Neal. So, that's kind of crazy that he's like, 18, 19 years old, and he's like, this is the first word of encouragement I've ever gotten. That's upsetting. Yeah, so that kind of shows you, like, how Alan was very, like, firm with Poe, yeah. unfortunately. Anyways, this review prompted Poe to dedicate a poem to Neil in Poe's second book called Al Araf. Araf? Um, and then he also republished um, Tamerlane and Minor poems, and this happened in 1829. So he republished his first book and then published his second book and i believe that it was like a collection so it was like two for one mm -hmm. um within eight months poe had gone to west point and got purposefully kicked out of it for rules and fractions are we surprised no. um he did this by refusing to attend formations classes or church so he really didn't want it to be in that military life. Nope. <laughs> no. In February of 1831, Poe then moved to New York and released a third volume of poems simply titled Poems. <laughs> he was a very clever man. Um, this printed with his two previous publications, so like a three for one, and um, as well as unreleased early versions of some poems, which I recall because I'm a freak. Um, those poems are To Helen is Raphael and the City and the Sea. So those are some pretty popular ones that he has published in like collections of poetry that you can see in Barnes and Noble. Um, I imagine that it's nothing like how what we are reading isn't what they read in this published version in 1831, but that'd be pretty cool to see. Um, in March of the same year, Poe moved back to Baltimore. Dear God, this guy moves a lot. Just wait. He moved a lot. I was like, how this is why you're broke, dude. Stop moving. Just stop. <laughs> Anyways, he moved back to Baltimore to live with his aunt, brother, and cousin. Um, William Henry, his brother, was in poor health. And sources say partly due to alcoholism, but I don't know how true that is because everybody reported that Poe was an alcoholic, but that's not completely entirely true, which you will learn. Anyways, so they said that his brother died in August 1st of 1831. Um, and then in 1833, his message found in a bottle, poem, article thing. No, it's a story. It's a short story. Sorry. Uh, won $50 from a Baltimore Weekly. So hmm. that's pretty cool. This particular story is about an unnamed narrator who was at sea and finds himself in a series of harrowing circumstances. The story starts out, this is a pretty long quote, but I really liked enjoying the reading of the first part. So... Quote, of my country and of my family, I have little to say. Ill usage and length of years have driven me from one and estranged me from the other. Hereditary wealth afforded me an education of no common order, and a contemplative turn of mind enabled me to methodize the stores which early study very diligently garnered up. End quote. 
which kind of seems like the narrator and Poe kind of have yeah. some similarities there. Um, but a lot of good writers write from experience. experience. Thank you. I was going to say habits, but that wasn't correct. Don't stare at me. Um, so by 1835, he moved back to Richmond as editor of the Southern Literary Messenger. And the Messenger was one of the most popular magazines in the South. And within a year of working there, he was named a critical reviewer, which is a good and bad thing. He got a reputation as fearless and would attack an author's work and also insult them. Um, Poe targeted some of the most famous writers in the country, one of them being a Rufus Griswold, who was an anthologist and an editor. Um, there's some drama between Rufus and Poe, but I don't want to get into that too much, but we'll come back to it later. Um, but as for now, just know that he wasn't very nice to him. In 1836, he brings both Maria and Virginia to live with him, um, Virginia being his cousin, Maria being his aunt, and he then married his cousin, Virginia, who was 13 and he was 27. But I guess it was legal back then. Uh, but still, money was tight, and Poe decided to move to New York and then Philadelphia a year later. He worked for various different magazines, and some sources say that he moved to New York because he got mired because he got fired from the Messenger <laughs> due to his drinking. But there was one source that I got a lot of this information from, which is literally called the Poe Museum. So I imagine that if they are literally a museum right. about Poe, they know their facts and they stated that that wasn't true, that he just moved. So. That makes sense. I know, right? Um, And we'll find out later why we get these. Also, yes, moving is hella expensive. Yes, like, and it's annoying and it's frustrating. You have to pack yeah. things. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he just had a quill and a piece of paper and he's like, let's go. That's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Regardless, um, we'll find out later why we have misconceptions about Poe and being a drunken alcoholic man. Um, so while in New York City, Poe completed her, his first length work of fiction, which is a long prose narrative titled The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, which was published in 1838, um, which is considered possibly an inspiration of Herman Melville's Moby Dick, hmm. which now I really want to read that. Um, I've never heard of that before. In 1839, he moves back to Philadelphia. Poe becomes a co-editor of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, which is not what you would think. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you think. I literally was like, what is he doing? Um, no, he's not writing weird porn stuff. Um, oh it's just another article. <laughs> magazine. While working there, he was contracted to write a monthly feature, which gave us pieces such as William Wilson, The Telltale Heart, and The Fall of the House of Usher. So two of the three of those I've heard. I have never heard of the William Wilson one. But both all of those stories were of supernatural horror. Yep. And if you've heard of any of the three, you know. Later on in 1839, Poe created Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque, which was published in 1840. His payment for publishing this, this is ridiculous, was 25 copies of his own book. <laughs> that was his payment. Does that suck? Yeah. Um, so, much like Boris Karloff... Um, because of this, Poe fought for writers' rights, and he's considered one of the catalysts for international copyright law and the cause for higher wages for writers. Oh. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I didn't know that either. That's very fun and interesting, and it makes me love him even more. Anyways, 
Poe then resigned from the Burton around June of 1840, but then he returned in 1841 to become an editor for the successor publication called Graham's Ladies and Gentlemen's Magazine. (laughs) I don't know these names, man. Very interesting, but whatever. This is when he printed The Murders in the Rue Morgue, which was his first detective story. Um, In 1842, uh, unfortunately, kind of... He's been going through some pretty good times, having some good stories here, but uh, Virginia then gets diagnosed with tuberculosis. Yikes. I know. So in 1843, <clears throat> he then publishes The Gold Bug, which won a prize of 100 bucks from Philadelphia's Dollar newspaper, and this gave him great publicity. So then Poe, um, in 1844, moved back to New York City, and that's when he wrote The Balloon Hoax for the Sun. Like the Sun Magazine, it's called the Balloon Hoax. Mm-hmm. I realize that the way I said that might be a little confusing to people <laughs> that don't know. <laughs> um, also, he became sub editor for the New York Mirror. Hmm. I know. Uh, while working for the New York Mirror in eighteen, sorry, in January of eighteen forty-five, Poe's most famous poem, "The Raven," was published, and he quickly got national fame. Um, Poe then decided to ride the Raven train and publish a collection of poetry called "The Raven and Other Poems." Um, God, he's so good with these mm-hmm. titles. I mean, mm-hmm. you can blame him. Very creative. <laughs> so creative. Um, poems. <laughs> the Raven and other poems. <laughs> um, as well as other, like, short stories titled Tales. So. <laughs> I'm going to You gotta save all of the creativity for the actual writing. Like. I know. Like, he makes up for his lack of being able to title things in his writings. Anyways. Um, so then he became an editor of the... Editor. <laughs> then he became an editor of the Broadway Journal, which was a weekly publication. Um, and then he bought it out. Um, the, he, yeah, bought it out from the owners and he lived out his dream of wanting to own his own journal. Unfortunately, that didn't last long and the magazine soon failed. Big bummer. But this is where he ended up publishing most of his stories. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure he probably did that because he had more freedom. It's like, I don't know, a band with a label. Like, you have to just do what they want. Anyways. Um, apparently during this time, um, of Poe's race to fame as a poet, um, there was another poet at the time named Francis, but she goes by Fanny, Sergeant Locke Osgood, and she apparently just started pursuing Poe. She was, like, obsessive. She was like, I love you. You love me. Let's be together. It's like the you version of 18, what year did I say it was, 45? <laughs> um, so it is said that Virginia didn't object to Fanny's Poe, Fanny's Poe, to Fanny's love for Poe. Uh, but Virginia was also in declining health at the time, yeah. so I don't know if she either A, wasn't aware, or B, like, just was like, I am dying. Yeah. This is the least of my concerns right. right now. If he wants to be happy with another woman, let me be happy with another woman. I don't know the circumstances, but it said that she didn't really object. But um, Fanny's public writings about her interest in Poe became a scandal. Like, lots of drama. So, in 1846, to escape the scandal um, and the bust of the large city that he didn't really enjoy, Poe moved to a cottage at Fordham, which is now part of New York City, so it was, like, outskirts at the time. Right. Um, this is where he wrote for Godric's Ladies' Book from May to October of 1846. Um, one of his pieces was titled The Liter- Literati of New York City. Um Basically, they were just gossip sketches on popular names of the day. Um, awesome. I know. Which at the time, I guess, would be like a form of parody. But 
they had didn't have the laws that we do. So it led to a libel suit. Um, <laughs> and so then Poe's wife. I know. So after all of that, Poe's wife, um, Virginia, I couldn't find anything if he won or lost. So sorry. If you find it, great. Anyways, Poe's wife died in January of 1847 from tuberculosis. She was only 24. Which makes me think, if his mom died of tuberculosis, his wife dies of tuberculosis, like, how does he not have tuberculosis? Maybe he's immune? Like, I don't... Or, I, like, dormant. Yeah, maybe he did have dormant tuberculosis. Anyways, I thought that was interesting that, like, all these people around him are dying of it, and he's just like... Let's write poems. Yeah, another poem. We'll call them poems. <laughs> and other tales. <laughs> um... Poe was devastated and is said to have had writer's block for months following her death. And in the following two years after, Poe eventually began going from city to city just to give lectures. So he kind of gave up on writing, but his lectures were like still kind of like storytelling to him. It is possible that Poe was doing this also to find supporters for his new magazine project, which he wished to call The Stylus, which I think is pretty cool. Like this is where he comes up with his clever name, The Stylus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, uh, but critics didn't foresee him living much longer, so they were kind of like, ha, 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 that's a cool idea. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, it was also during this time um, where sources say that Poe went to Providence, Rhode Island to woo a fellow poet, Sarah Helen Whitman, um, but I couldn't really find anything on that. I only found that in one source, so I'm not sure if it's true, but I think that'd be kind of interesting if it was true. Um, the same year Poe published his lecture named Eureka, which is an explanation of the universe, which I'm sure he had vast knowledge about as a man of charter schools. Um, (laughs) this lecture had both been raved as a masterpiece by some critics, but also as nonsense by others. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. It depends on if you're educated or uneducated. I don't know which side of the fence you're on, but anyways. Um, so then in the summer of 1849... Poe moves back to Richmond. He becomes engaged to Elmira Royster. Does that name sound familiar? Because it should. It's Mm -hmm. the woman who he was first engaged to that he returns to being married to another man. She's like, I guess I'll take you no. But yeah, now she's a widow. So she's like, uh, he's dead. (laughs) He was fine, I guess, for a minute. So So, um, they intended to marry in Richmond when Poe returned from his planned trips to New York and Philly because he's still doing those lectures um then he left richmond to did i already say that oh no he had planned trips he then left richmond to go um along his travels to philadelphia did i say philly before sorry i shortened philadelphia to philly in my notes i want to sound professional macy this is a professional educational podcast is it i said that (laughs) what did you say nothing (laughs) it's nothing no, you have to. Nope. Fine. So on the way um, to Philadelphia from Richmond, Poe stopped in Baltimore, where it said he disappeared for five days. Um, he was then found in the bar room of a public house that was being used for a polling place during an election. A magazine editor named Joseph Snodgrass sent Poe to Washington College Hospital there in Baltimore, where he died on October 7th, 1849, at 40 years old. Um yeah so the source of his death is unknown even to this day some suspect drinking like i said heart failure or other causes but no idea probably (laughs) 
Yeah, so honestly, <laughs> most historians and biographers suggest that he had possible lesions on his brain, um, epilepsy, tuberculosis, cholera, syphilis, and possibly even rabies. Oof. I know. So, Ooh. yeah, they're like, we don't really know, but it could be all of these things. Um, another source, which is history.com, so kind of big name out there for a source that I, like, wanted to plug in. Um, they state that Poe was possibly on an alcohol bender while in Baltimore and at a party where he was found incoherent in a gutter near an Irish pub. And then he was found by his friend Dr. Joseph Snodgrass, not an editor, and taken to Washington College where he died. So, kind of conflicting stories there. Snodgrass, not an editor, doctor, I don't know which it is. But, we're going with Dr. Snodgrass, noted at the time that Poe was wearing ill-fitting and cheap clothing and in a highly intoxicated state, which was unusual for him. And according to this story, Poe's last words were, quote, Lord, help my poor soul, end quote. Mm. I know. Isn't that fucked? So um, the theory, according to this story per history.com, as to how he died was that he was a victim of cooping which was a common thing at the time where Baltimore's notoriously corrupt politicians paid thugs to kidnap down and out men, especially the homeless. So these victims were drugged, disguised, and forced to vote over and over at different polling places for particular candidates and then left for dead. Whoa. Yeah. So the theory is that Poe being found in clothes that were unusual and being like, intoxicated or drugged and that being unusual for him and the place where he was located nearing a polling location the idea was that maybe somebody mistook him for a homeless person or just found this man traveling by himself and decided to do that so i know that's kind of crazy since it is the mid-1800s, his fiance and mother-in-law back home, or future mother-in-law, I guess I should say, um, didn't know what had happened to him until they read about it in the newspapers. Ooh. I know. Could you imagine? Um, so he was buried in Westminster Presbyterian Church in Baltimore, according to um, museum org. Days after Poe's death, his literary rival that we mentioned earlier, Rufus Griswold, um, wrote a libelous uh, obituary of Poe, an attempt for yeah, and an attempt for revenge for the things that Poe had written about him. He's but I mean, dead. Like, yeah, that's so fucking rude. <laughs> like, you don't even have the fucking backbone to say it while well, he's alive. And yeah. now, like, he's dead, you're gonna take advantage because he has no room to Dick bite move. back. Yeah. Um, so Griswold followed that obituary with a memoir where he betrayed Poe as a drunk, womanizing madman with no morals or friends. So, wow. unfortunately, because of his writings. That's where we kind of get that depiction mm. of Poe now. And his goal literally was to publicly dismiss Poe's works, but instead he did the opposite. Um, Poe's sales of his books were higher than they ever were when he was alive. And um, like I said, Griswold's depiction is the stereotype of Poe that we know today, or at least a lot of people that aren't big into him as a person. Um, but according to History.com, like I said, his mystery is still a death, but there seems to be that there was no death certificate filed. Is death still a mystery? What did I say? There's still mystery to his death? Oh, I thought you said mystery is a death. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> either way, according to History.com, <laughs> there was no death certificate that was filed. Oh. So I don't know weird. how true that is, but I don't know how easily you can get your hands on a death certificate from 1849. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. 
So, just a quick thing for after his death, Poe's work to most critics and reviewers concerns the romanticism of the occult and the satanic nature as well as terror and sadness. So, I mean, wow. it's pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, but he was also, like, in real life, ordinary day-to-day, he was described to have a great sense of humor. He even apologized to a visitor once who offered him a pet raven as a gift. And he was, like, he was apologizing because he's like, I can't take this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't take your raven. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, he admired Shakespeare and Alexander Pope. Um, we all know of Shakespeare, so I didn't really know anything about Alexander Pope. He was a poet and satirist from England. He was best known for his poems like An Essay on Criticism, which was published in 1711, The Rape of the Lock, 1712 to 1714, so I don't know if that was like a series, um, The Duncade, 1728, and An Essay of Man, or I'm sorry, An, es- an Essay on Man, which was 1733 to 1734. He was noted by Britannica.com for being one of the most epigrammatic of all English authors. Um, so I think that that's pretty cool. I hadn't heard of him before. You never read any of his stuff in like English? Nope. Well, I guess I'm the loser now. <laughs> uh, it was horrible. Yeah? Yes. Why? Because that different type of English it's it was back then? It's super hard to read. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like, even reading that first, like, couple sentences of Poe's first book, I think it was his first yes. book, I was like, yes. no, it was the message of a bottle thing. Mm-hmm. That, it's, like, hard, because it's just different English, but anyways, it is stated that a lot of Poe's works were inspired from his fever dreams combined with his fantasies, um, which I get that. A lot of people dream about fantastical things. Um, Poe today is known as one of the most prominent when it comes to dark literature, and the website for poemuseum.org is super cool. It has events and all kinds of stuff. The museum itself is in Richmond, Virginia, which is pretty cool since that's a place that he lived in a lot of right. his life. And if you Google it, like, it has the address there. It has, like, ways you can donate, especially with COVID going on right now, but it has a lot of really cool things. I really liked their site. It was full of the best information. That's all I have. Cool. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah? Yep. Cool. That's Poe. Poe I thought that the the polling place, that whole thing was super interesting. I've, I've never heard that. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Yeah. It's I, just super fucked. Yeah, I wish that there was, like, more coverage that was still at, accessible nowadays because mm-hmm. everything I could find had different theories. So right. I just went off of the two biggest sources that I could find, which right. was the museum.org and yeah. history.com. Because yeah. I'm like, I feel like those guys probably did a lot of work or something. Sure. But a lot of people just said that he was found on a bender, That's drunk in a I've ditch. Heard. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. In, a, in a gutter. Yeah. Or he got beat up by the mob and he yep. was found beat up in the ditch. Like, it's always like yep. in a ditch. That's the story I always heard. Mm-hmm. But I never heard that it was near a polling place yep. or like in a polling place or something like that so yeah how sad i know it makes he's me so, good though he's such a good writer it's so good i, I love <laughs> him so much he's the reason why i even wanted to be a, not be a writer because obviously like you have to I, that's he's the reason why i wanted to write mm-hmm. in the first place like yeah. reading all of his stories like yeah. the raven it's just so good yeah i have the raven tattooed on me mm-hmm. i have Posif inspired stuff. I love him. I love him so much. If he was alive, I'm sorry, Macy. <laughs> Have you ever looked at him? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's not impressive. I'm like a little bit offended. <laughs> I think no. He's got I a think weird just, head. I know. I think he 
like a lot of people that I'm interested in, like with um their talents and stuff like that. I think I would just want to sit in a room for with him for a while and just like talk to him, mm-hmm. you know, like get yeah. to see how his brain works, you know. Cool. But that's it. That's all I have. Love it. Yeah. Um. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram, and you can email us uh, on Instagram. It is Who Knew Podcast. Yep. Our email is Who Knew Podcast six 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 dots. Nope. At gmail dot com. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Patreon that Sammy has been diligently working on, which is super cool. Yeah, I just changed it. I lowered the price of the third tier just because I was like, eh, seems like a little bit pricey because we're not really offering a whole lot because we don't have a lot to offer at this point mm-hmm. so we don't have a lot of support um but we ended up getting our stickers from a good friend of mine monique who has her own shop which we'll tag in this episode um and we'll post pictures about the cool sticker uh, that she made f- specifically for us like the artwork is so cool she like made it and everything um so that's exclusive to patrons i think in the first tier you'll get a welcome sticker and then in the second tier you will get a holographic sticker version which is super cool so if you end up signing up for the second tier you'll get both stickers um which is the coolest and then also if you check out our instagram we made shirts for everybody and a little tote bag a couple of masks and then um what's the other thing a coffee mug (laughs) which is super cool i want to buy it all but i can't support myself (laughs) okay that's maybe not (laughs) yes you can we just can't buy all our own (laughs) that's what i meant that's what i meant and then macy (laughs) macy thinks it's kind of lame for us to wear our own products yeah it's like a band what did you say it's like a band member who wears his own shirt yeah oh my gosh i would totally do that i'd be that band member would you yeah be like, oh, you see the shirt? That's my band. Oh my god! <laughs> you want to listen to them? Check them out on Spotify. Mouse rat? Like, <laughs> okay, we're not getting into this. <laughs> Anyways, so if you want to check out the merch, it's um, limited time. I think it's going for fifteen days, and then um, that's when everything ships. So it's a way to like have them like get everything together and not just sell individually. It's a better way for the company that we're going through to like get what they need first and then i feel like it's just gonna be better quality since they're not gonna be just mass producing them you know yep so i liked that um yeah i yeah that's it that's all i have i'm cool. done okay i want i want buy my buy our march okay bye <laughs> <laughs>